welcome to this week's Betfair Cheltenham Rawcast episode two, where we'll be discussing the Sayers Hurdle, the Ballymore and the Albert Bartlett Novices Hurdle. And I'm delighted again to be joined by Dan Barber. So how are you, Dan? Yeah, I'm good. I am looking forward to this one. And as much as anything, I'm hoping to get a steer because that Ballymore looks impossible to me. So if Ryan, Kate, you can tell me what's going to win that. What, yeah. If you can tell me what's going to run in it, I mean, I'd be absolutely <laughs> delighted. Yeah, I was going to say, that's going to be a bit of a theme for today is that we're going to have a lot of horses we've previously discussed for the Supreme, potentially going to have to reiterate them for the Ballymore. And then also we're covering the Ballymore and the Albert Barlett. So we may have a fair degree of crossover between horses there. So do bear with us and the entries that we've got today are obviously pretty fresh in our mind as well. But of course, we are delighted to uh, also be joined by Betfair's very own Ryan McHugh. So Ryan, great to have you on board with us this week. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Kate. Thanks. Uh, I'm grateful to be on this. Uh, I listened to last week's show. It seemed a good start by all accounts. So hopefully we can um, pick out a few runners and winners in the Ballymore yeah. and, uh, and Albert Barlett along with the stairs. So we have a good uh, good show lined up, hopefully. And as I said, me and Dan will be able to go through the English and Irish novices and maybe compare uh, form between the two, which we obviously haven't seen yet. Yeah, confirmation of one listener there as well. Thank you, Ryan. We had a listener. That's all. It's all on. about numbers. We chat pre pre uh, pre now. It's all about the numbers. I'm just trying to help you. <laughs> Thank you. The numbers. No family, <laughs> brothers, sisters, aunties, <laughs> uncles. <laughs> <laughs> the whole shebang uh yeah definitely uh but as ryan said this this antipose game it's no easy feat so uh, yeah all on the lads then to just solve this for us and uh we're delighted to finally be able to announce as well that betfair have signed Bryony Frost as their new ambassador. I hinted at it last week, but she's going to be an excellent addition to this podcast. Unfortunately, we haven't got Bryony on this week, but she will be joining us as of next week. So we are hugely looking forward to that. If you guessed it, very well done. I was trying to keep the hints as subtle as I possibly could. But yeah, we are so excited to have Bryony on board. And Dan, just to go to you, sort of having Bryony on the team now, what sort of are you hoping... Or what do you think she's going to sort of add to our gauge of the Cheltenham Festival? And, and what would you kind of really like to get to know from her? Well, I think we know from listening to her, she's very engaging, isn't she, generally? Mm. And um, there's that big factor of that I can't add. Um, you may be better at adding it, Kate, because you've actually done some time riding horses about <laughs> what she's thinking Same about on. in races. You hear her talking as well. We've interviewed on track several times, obviously, and often talking about making sure horses are, are breathing right or in stride and and her ability to get horses jumping and traveling is a is a thing that sets her apart so yeah it's that race riding insight i can i can read off form books for as long as you want to but i can't actually say what it's like to be on a horse i wouldn't wish that on any animal if i with my 13 <laughs> stone frame was going to climb on its back but Thankfully, Bryony weighs a bit less than that and she can add some of those insights. <laughs> definitely. To be fair, you chose, now that I'm in more of the media side of it, you've definitely chosen the right career path. It's an awful lot safer and an awful lot cosier. I've gone a bit soft, really. The early mornings and the, the cold days, oh, are, yeah. they hit different nowadays. They really do now that I'm doing it less. So, yeah, happy to be here chatting away with you guys. But great insight nonetheless. Now, Ryan, of course, we didn't get to speak to you last week and we got to ask all of the lads about their favourite Cheltenham memories, really. So I'm keen, as a way of introduction for yourself on this podcast, to really get your favourite or least favourite if you want to take Dan's pessimistic approach from last week you can have a least favourite memory of Cheltenham as well yeah well I'll give you my first memory of going to Cheltenham and then I'll give you my, my favourite memory my first memory of going to Cheltenham was I went to the start off in the November meeting um, with my father my dad brought me over when I was about uh, 11 years of age I think it was Lance Partique won the 
they've had any power back then uh, for Graham Lee, I think, and Freddie Murphy. So that was my first yeah. time going to Cheltenham. Um, I only looked that up there. I think it was yesterday or that. So that was a really good experience at Cheltenham. I, I actually enjoyed going to November meeting first because it just gave you a sense of how big mm. the festival actually was. Um, so I went to the November meeting, I think, three times before I actually went to the festival. So if anyone hasn't been to Cheltenham, I'd actually advise them to go to November meeting maybe first um, and then experience the festival because it's so it's totally different. But at least with the November meeting, you get to kind of have a stroll around and look at the different things going on the track before you actually, when you go to the festival, everyone knows that that's been there, that it's very crowded and things like that. And it was a great atmosphere. Don't get me wrong. I love the festival, but there's something different about the November meeting. So that was my first memory. And I suppose my favourite memory, um, Tiger All obviously played a big part in a lot of people's careers, but uh, I'm with Lisa O'Neill's daughter uh, quite a while now. I'm going out with her quite a while, uh, or Lisa O'Neill's sister, I should say. Uh, it's Siobhan. So I think Lisa... <laughs> uh, good job No daughter, yeah. Yeah, so she... Well, I recommend that. Just slipped my mind and I was thinking, no, she doesn't have a daughter. Um, Lisa yeah, so, she's got a kid. <laughs> her winning on, on Tiger All, anyway, is my uh, is probably my favourite memory. Um She's obviously, she's obviously an amateur, never turned professional, and it was kind of her biggest career win to date at that stage, and, and was mm-hmm. since she won a couple of Terry National and that. But uh, it was just great to see for her and her family. Um, her, her father was a trainer years gone by, and her, her mother worked in carousels for a long time. So, and they're well connected to racing, and it just for her to win a race on a big stage like that, I think was great. And obviously, Tiger All, as I said, has played a, a big part of a lot of people's careers. But for her, I think that was probably her best career moment and one she'll never forget. And I was just delighted for, for the family, for, for her family to, to witness it. So I'd say Tiger All in the National Chase, although I don't think too many other people would be thinking of that. The fact, he was a triumph hurdle winner on a couple, uh, couple of cross-country races, along with a couple of Grand Nationals. But the National Chase sticks out in my mind. Yeah, definitely. So, like, Tiger Roll is going to be a favourite of however many people as a favourite Cheltenham memory, but actually having a personal... But, yeah, now that we've re-established a personal connection, a very personal connection to, to the horse as well, so fantastic for the family and, of course, for Lisa, and, like I say, really catapulted her, and obviously there now as well. So, yeah, that was a really, really nice memory. See, Dan, it can be done then. It's plenty yeah, no, of optimism. Well, a couple of things to fall out from that. Obviously, there was the amusing moment, but um, <laughs> yeah, you've you've made me for one thing. You've, she's now obviously a colleague of mine at Racing TV, that and she's doing great there. But the other thing was, you've just made me feel extremely old, which was hoping you wouldn't do because I think I was already working at Timeform. I might have been my first year at Timeform the day Lantartic won that. <laughs> power. I was certainly there. Was it the season after he? It was a season after he'd won the novice handicap at the festival, I think, wasn't it? And then he yeah. won the Paddy Power reappear in the next season. So, I'll work similar to that anyway. But you you have aged me there massively, which which I will not intentionally, Dan. Not intentionally. It wasn't intentionally. Obviously, I don't look it, but I mean, I was going to say no. You're not looking at it at all. So that's all. That's all that counts anyway. But uh, <laughs> but hopefully, the next guest then next week, and Bryony can come up with some more memories to make Dan feel older as of next week. So I look forward to that. Now, Dan has done very well though himself because he's come up with yet another question, and I feel bad that I didn't acknowledge Dan's work that he came up with the question for last week's show, but. He's come up with another one, so I'm giving him all the plaudits this time around. Now, the question I'm going to reveal now, uh, and then I'm going to give you the answer at the end of the show. So the question is, Energamine broke the 180 marker on Timeform ratings when pushing Shishkin all the way at Ascot on Saturday. Which horse, representing the same connections as Energamine, won the 2017 Albert Bartlett, and which Cheltenham Festival race did he land only two starts later? Haven't read the answer at this time, so I'm nailing this already. (laughs) 
So yeah, we will. So get your get get your um, get your brain caps on there and really get thinking about that question. And as I say, I'll come back to the answer then at the end of the show. So we will kick off with our races. We've better had Dubai now. So we're going to start with a stayers hurdle, if that's all right with you, lads. So just to run through the market as it currently stands, we have Classical Dream as the eleven to four market leader, following his steal of a win in the Christmas hurdle. Champ is next in at seven to two. Last year's winner then flooring quarter at five to one then it's time hill at 13 to two um assyrian Spelanger is obviously out of there now so uh, well sporting john also at 16 side of burley at 20s and it's 33 to one far so dan i'll start with you if that's all right please i think it's fair to say with this we started this season with this division looking very weak but interesting and i think we have more depth now in this division but we're probably still lacking as many answers in this division as we were at the start such is the nature of how wide open this division is where we have stronger candidates for sure but it's still a muddling one would you agree with that or do you have a different opinion no i know exactly what you're saying i mean wind the clock back what even eight months and classical dream wouldn't have probably been considered Mm. a lively one for this race i mean he'd never run over three miles prior to punchestown champ certainly wouldn't have been in people's thoughts and and looking further down the market a horse like sporting john who's 16s i don't think he'd have been in many people's thoughts either at that stage, he was a bit of a, a crossroads horse. I don't think we really knew where we were with him because his chasing career repeated out so badly. So Florian Porter started the season as the champion. He met in a rather controversial race because of the start, but I thought it was a great piece of work really by Town and Nick in the, the lengths that he did. Um, they met in that really good race there and around Christmas time. And I was of the firm impression that Classical Dream would have won anyway. And I'm sure we'll say this many times over the course of this podcast between now and Cheltenham. He's the right favourite or she's Mm -hmm. the right favourite. But I sort of feel he is. Um, We're dealing with a horse who's had only two starts over three miles. On the first of them, he beat Ronald Pump back into third by 11 plus lengths. That horse had been fresh from finishing second in a stay as himself. On his most recent start, the second start at the trip, he's beaten last year's stay as hurdle winner. And, it's not the fact that I think there's loads more improvement in him. It's just I thought that was a proper race. I mean, a matter of days since one of the best match races you will ever see in Ergamine against Shishkin. Let's not forget how good a race this was. I know there was the unsatisfactory start, but this this was two top-level staying hurdlers going flat out from a long way out. Horses of real like real quality, likes of Burning Victory, a triumph hurdle winner, albeit a fortuitous one, left trailing. A really good stayers from owned by JP McManus, likewise left trailing. Mm-hmm. The time was 30. I mean, I think it was three seconds faster carrying seven, 17 pound more than the winner of the staying handicap hurdle on the same card on soft ground half an hour later when the ground was probably a bit worse. So it was a serious, high level, high caliber staying performance. And I think the fact he's got the verdict over Florian Porter means that you've got to start with him. Mm, yeah, because I, I think. Sort of in terms of the Florian Porter classical dream form line. I mean, Ryan, I'll throw this to you. I think that I completely appreciate and get what Dan is saying. Then I think that half of the people or half of the perception will be upon that. That actually you can, you know, you can be easily misled by the start that classical dream got on Florian Porter. But at the same time, I can also see people using that then as sort of a reason why that form may well be reversed. And do you think at Florian Porter's current price, I mean, what's he five, five to one there in comparison to the 11 to four for Classical Dream? Do you think he's being a little bit overlooked last year's champion? 
Uh, I don't personally think so, Kate. No, um, I get what people are saying and what you mentioned there. They kind of the start that that the classical dream got a leopard sound, but I just think to me, having watched the race back, I, to me they're, they're just difference in ability. I just think classical dreams a better horse than Florian Porter, mm-hmm. um, and it just when you look at Florian Porter's season, he's had this season, so he's had the two runs in Navin. Like he was upsides Grand Rois when he fell two out. Now Grand Rois was beaten seven lengths and arguably was travelling just as well, if not a little bit better than Florian Porter on that occasion. So. If that if that, if he didn't if he didn't have fallen that day, I don't think he'd have won. Uh, I think the inland and punters would have said the same. I think he was out to a bit of a price on the exchange when he did come down as well. Because he you have to remember he had a big lead built up down the back straight and um, before turning in and they got to him. So it's rare that horses can go again, especially over three miles. So um I just think Classical Dream is a better horse than Florent Porter. And another point to make as well in regards to Classical Dream is the fact that obviously he made the run in a Leopardstown, but I think that was more Paul Townend's decision. He kind of got a jump on him at the start and when you go back to his Punchestown run, he was actually settled really well in behind horses in about fifth or sixth position. So he's very versatile in, the, in in where he can race, which is a big point going into this race because if he didn't win at Punchestown and show that he can settle at that trip in behind horses, well, then you're coming in here thinking he might be a bit keen if Florent Porter was to maybe make the run in a, at the festival. So I think there's a couple of positives that go Classical Dreams way to suggest that he should be 11 to 4 and Florent Porter 5 to 1. Um, Florent Porter for me, he's had like he ran a really, really good race at Leopardstown, Florent Porter, but I'm just not sure he'll be able to turn the form with Classical Dream. Paul Townend, although he did get serious enough, I think Danny Munns was more serious on the second. And you just always felt that if, if, if Florent Porter had got near Classical Dream, he'd have, went, he'd have went again. So I think overall, he's a better horse and hence why he's a shorter price. But I think for me in the race, I think Champ at around seven to two with us at the moment. I think he's he's a decent enough bet considering he's he's obviously a ten year old, but he's only had sixteen starts, so he, he's lightly raced for his age. He's a good, obviously a good record at the festival, having won the RSA. Like he'd be a Gold Cup winner and a Ryanair winner, um, in in that RSA, and the way he won it, obviously as well, was really impressive uh, coming home to beat the two of them up the hill. And then obviously he was second in the Ballymore behind City Island with some good horses behind him that day as well. So. He has a decent record at the festival. And I just what he'd done in the long walk at Ascot, to do that off a break, you, get, and you have to remember, he beat the right horses that day. Mm. Like He beat Time Hill, Ronald Pump was behind him, Paisley Park, a previous winner of the of the Stairs Hurdle, was behind him that day. So it's not as if he won. Like, if he won a trial race and maybe beat horses that he should be beating, he'd probably be only five or six to one now at the moment. But the fact he's beaten horses that like have previous form in the Stairs Hurdle and have won Stairs Hurdles, and he's beat them, beat them off a layoff that I think... The seven to two about him is probably still a little bit of value. I think it's between the top two, mainly myself. I, I can't really one I was put was going to put up as an each way uh, in the race at the price is Paisley Park at thirty two to one, just because I think he's got an end to end gallop here. Uh, I don't think he's got that this season so far. I think he could run run into the places, but uh, I've, for me, I think Champ at around seven to two is the bet, and I'd be against Florian Porter for the reasons I said uh, at the top regards Casper Dream. Yeah, very good case made. And of course, we're going to see Champ in the Cleve Hurdle this weekend as well, where he is currently a very short price. So if he goes and justifies this, well, he's currently four to nine for the Cleve Hurdle then, right? If he goes and wins this, would you be trying to back Champ for the Sayers Hurdle now? Because assuming he justifies that on Saturday, of course, don't shout at us now, viewers or listeners, even out there. Um, We are recording this on a Tuesday evening, so we don't know what's happening on Saturday yet. So if you listen to this on Sunday or Monday... Don't shout at us. We don't know what's going to go off. But are you expecting Champ then to shorten um, with his stay as hurdle price should he go and win the Cleve? Yeah, well, it, it's one of them, isn't it, Kate? That he, like he's, as you said, he's four to nine to win that. So you'd imagine he will win it uh, and, and he'd probably be nicked into three to one like most of these things. Um, I can't see him going too much short than three to one. So it's up to people whether they want to 
take the extra half a point or maybe wait. Personally, I'd probably wait, given three to one is the lowest that I can't see him going into 11 to four, five to two. Yeah. Um, Paisley Park is second favourite, but it's a small field at the weekend. And as I mentioned, I think he wants an end-to-end gallop, which he probably won't get at uh, the mm-hmm. weekend. So I could see Champ winning pretty easily, but people will just say after the race that he should be beating them horses. He obviously beat Paisley Park over five lengths in the long walk. So uh, may- maybe hang off. I think it's three to one, seven to two. Three to one after knowing the weekend is probably a little bit um, more of a better bet in my opinion but yeah no I think Ch- Champ is probably I, I think on the day I could see the two of them him and Classical Dream going clearing the market of the rest uh, I could see Florian Porter drifting from the 5-1 to one. he wouldn't interest me Yeah. Will they have you um, getting the spreadsheets out Ryan with any specials in the lead up to the weekend any win this race yeah. and then go on to, to win at the Cheltenham Festival yeah, we, we we offer them. We offer them nearly every weekend, Dan, in fairness. But like the higher profile horses we do, um, obviously coming up to, I think we've plenty on site at the moment in regards to Dublin Racing Festival, horses to win their races that they're in at the Dublin Racing mm. Festival go on and win. So yeah, we've they've been really popular the last few years when we started doing them. Obviously in the past, we're probably only guilty of just doing the really top quality horses. Like, But I think now, like we might, on, at the weekend, I presume we'll offer even Paisley Park to win the weekend and win, win at Cheltenham. So I think customers can look out for them every weekend. When there's a trial race on, we generally try to offer them and, and they do prove popular in fairness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm trying to pick out. up on something if it's okay, Kate, with what Ryan was saying there, because yeah, I, think, I think that's the one stumbling block with Classical Dream in that maybe they will revert to riding with patience and maybe yeah. it was a bit of a one-off, but if they don't, you sort of feel like Danny Mullins w- might want to double down on the fact that he w- he'll probably feel like he was still wronged mm-hmm. yeah. in Ireland last time. And he may be even doubly be determined this time that I'm going to go and get to the front. Now, obviously, remember Classical Dream on his only other previous visit to a Cheltenham Festival, making all in decisive fashion to win a, a Supreme. So choice in that, did he? he? didn't get any choice in that. It was head on the floor and just... Precisely. Yeah, so he may do that again for all we know. Yeah, I suppose that's the mastery of Mullins, isn't it? You mean, mm. the, the horse he was then, I know he, he dug really deep to win in his warm-up race for, for the festival, at the Dublin Racing Festival, but you wouldn't have pegged him then as a likely three-miler, but he's he's reinvented him, he's had a layoff, he's come back with those two wins. I don't imagine he'll run again. I don't I don't yeah. know for definite. But he's, he's in, so sorry, Dan, he's, he's in the Galmoy, Tesco Dreams in the Galmoy on Thursday at Goran Park. Is that, that Confirmed, declared. Yeah, he's declared. And I didn't actually, realise that. Yeah. Yeah, that was a point I actually wanted to make as well. Like you, Dan, I wouldn't have thought they would have went there. I'm very surprised he's, run, he's running them on Thursday. And like having looked through and maybe trying to think myself of reasons, it's like trying to think of what William Munns is thinking is obviously hard, nearly impossible. But the ground, like I checked the forecast, there's not much range here in Gorham Park on Thursday. The ground's soft at the moment. Usually it gets really, really testing in the Galmoy, and it's a really stiff test of a horse. Um, but the fact that the ground is not as worse, is not as bad as it, u- it usually can be, maybe that's one of the reasons. And the fact that Royal Cajala is second favourite uh, for the race, he might have looked at it. He had album photo, interestingly enough, entered in the Galmoy as well. Uh, Royal Cajala is second favourite. She's a 10 to 1 chance for the mayor's hurdle. So I suppose it's a decent pot to pick up on the way to Chatham. But as you said, Dana, he does look a horse best fresh. When you look at his punch time performance last year over that trip, I was surprised to see him declared. But Oh, you can't really guess uh, a second guess winning one, but that would be a slight negative, though. I agree, I agree with that. And it'd be it'd be a negative as well. It's not like the champ argument where you're wanting to see that bit more evidence that he is the top-notch there. With classical dreams, you sort of know he is, and he sort of feels like for his, if you're punting him now, it feels a bit misguided because it almost feels like there could be a pitfall, therefore, in mm-hmm. that Galmoy. He's had a hard race on his return. This is probably something of an afterthought. 
reading between the lines. I mean, I wasn't even aware he was running. I just, I just genuinely assumed record fresh, they'll put him away. What I was going to mention as well with the, the tactical nuances. Now, Aspire Tower's in the race as well, but it would be a leap of faith. He's going up to three miles for the first time. He's also in the champion. But if those two old rivals do get mixing it from a long way out, I wanted to pick up on Ryan's positivity there for Paisley Park. Now, maybe I should have lost faith a long while ago, but <laughs> what he wants, as Ryan says, is that contested pace. His Cheltenham record is largely excellent. He wasn't that far behind the front. So I know Champ was laughing with them for a long way, but good to soft ground at Ascot isn't what Paisley Park wants and a tactical race. And he's he's losing 3-1 in his private battle with Time Hill. But again, we're not talking... The day he beat him seemed to be fair and square at Ascot. And we're not talking about him getting thrashed out of sight every time they meet. So I thought he was value. He's three or four times the price of Time Hill. He's got loads of Cheltenham form. And I do think... There's been two occasions this season, whether it be when the race clearly wasn't suitable for him, the way he finished there, and on his most recent outing at Ascot. I thought there was there were signs there that he's no forlorn hope. He's 33s and there are three places available, obviously. Yeah, you say he looks a huge price, all things considered. Like you say, he hasn't been beaten that far by a plenty of the market leaders so far in his three runs this season. When you say the races haven't worked out for him at Weatherby, I mean, you just wanted to be wide throughout that, from what I can remember. Uh, all throughout that day. Then Newbury, I mean, it was a back-to-front race for Paisley, really. Normally, mm, we're associating yeah. him to being lazy and then to come there with his late flurry after hitting his flat spot, but he was fitted with the headgear, wasn't he, that day? Um, and really, they sent him on forwards then. And between him and on the blind side, they got into some battle from from about half the circuit out, really, Absolutely, before yeah. Darby just picked him up. And I thought at the time, you know, pinch of salt with that form. And as you say, last time out behind champ and time hill i love the way he traveled it's finally it was like all of the race came together for paisley park in terms of uh an efficient running style so if he could just yeah. hone that now 33 to 1 does look a huge price uh, for a forgotten about horse yeah and i think another point to make on that kate the price as well is that a lot of people now are looking at horses maybe in the novice race that we're going to touch on and they're, they're looking at 16 to 1 and 20 to 1 and they're backing them each way maybe not knowing whether it'll actually turn up in that race when you're getting 33 to 1 about the likes of paisley park knowing that this is his only race he's going to turn up in. I think a lot a lot can be said about that. Like As, as people are happy to take 16s and take a chance on horses that probably won't turn up in certain novice races, but with Paisley Park, you're getting 33 to 1. He's going to be there on the day, all things being well. Um, and as I said, as Dan said, like you're getting three places each way. And like he's only beaten five lengths behind him. And that's got, as I said, behind the right horses, five lengths behind the second favourite in the race. And I don't think he'd be beaten too far. It's obviously a bit of a leap of faith to see him win the race, but at 33 to 1, I think he's a decent choice too. Yeah, yeah, and he's, see, he's seen his race out strongly twice this season now, which is his old yeah. style under conditions that aren't ideal. And just look at the other horses in 30, 33 to 1. I wouldn't back Burning Victory stolen in this race. I mean, he's been she's been absolutely lapped by the two horses in, in Ireland who we discussed in Costco Dream mm -hmm. and Florian Porter. Wouldn't want to touch McFabulous. Mellon, no idea if he's a staying hurdler. Ronald <laughs> Bump appears to have lost the plot. And, and Song for Someone... Yeah. He's going up a mile in trip, but he might actually have an impact on the race if they decide to go for it, because we know he's got one way of going as well. He could yeah. be a potential nuisance value up front. Yeah, exactly. So like I say, the pace angles, I think that that, considering these sort of proper, obviously, stay as, her, so stay as hurdlers, that the pace angle is going to be hugely significant here. If Lauren Porter does get his uncontested, we know what a sort of a numb 
bit of a lunatic of an animal he is. He is incredibly hard then to pass himself. But if Classical Dream then takes him on, and I say a likes of song for someone who we know has the pace easily to lay up with those two on the front end, that may well play to the advantage of those hard up performers, Paisley Park included. I just wanted to ask you about a few more horses before we wrap up with our chat about the um, Sayers Hurdle. Now, I know Sporting John is in here at 16 to 1. He's fascinating. Because we know the ability this, ha this lad has. We saw that from him in his novice hurdle season, but his chasing was either remarkable or bust for him. So when he posted that wonderful reappearance win in the listed handicap hurdle at Cheltenham over three miles in November, you thought, wow, OK, this could really be his game by default now, too before the race just conspired against him, in my opinion, at December over three miles. That was won by Kansas City Chief, where the pace held up. But he was fairly dominant in that potential qualifier at Warwick. But who really knows what that race was all about, I guess. Uh, but he is obviously now qualified for the potential. Um, but his mm. mark has now risen to, what, one five six. So with the boss is Oscar top weight in the in the potential last year off of one five one. So has his hands been forced now, Dan, to run in the status hurdle? Yeah, well, he's, he's heading on that short sort of trajectory, isn't he? Mm. No, I think I think I put him up on racing only better for that reappearance on the basis that the hurdling's always been his game. There were a few angles, weren't there? The, your old employer, Philip, was going a bit better than he had been doing the previous season. There were just a few things that sort of slotted into place. Now, this may sound slightly contrary, given he's won twice over three miles, but I would still be slightly concerned about his stamina mm. in a status hurdle when the likes of Classical Dream and Florin Porter could easily be going flat out. I mean, as much as anything, I just think he's outclassed fields of handicappers twice now. That's basically what he's done. He's not had to really extend himself fully. And the Warwick race was a bit of a mess, wasn't it? He just sprinted yeah. through between horses. Don't, wouldn't rule him out. I definitely wouldn't because, as you saying, Kate, he looked a horse of serious potential in his mm. novice hurdle days. And, and only now, really, does he seem to be starting to fulfil it. Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? And and as I say, and if he does fulfil that, then it's going to make him a huge player. And sixteen to one still looks fair, but obviously you are kind of in between those two minds of exactly where JP McManus is going to send his runners because Ryan he has a three in here: Tyre de Burley, Sporting John, and Champ. So do you see JP wanting to run all three of these in the stayers? Uh, it's it's a tricky one. Obviously, Tyre de Burley a dual winner for Thames, and um, both qualified him and him and Sporting John. So it is a tricky one. I, I I could see him maybe only running running champ in the race. Um, would be maybe my thoughts on it. But I agree with Dan in relation to Sport and John. When you go through the handicaps, like if he was beaten the last day, it was a bit of a farce of a race. When you look at the horses, there's a couple of Irish horses wanted to go over and, and get qualified. There's not too many too many more chances, is there? Over there's none left, is get, there? I think they were yeah, pushed back yeah. prior before yeah. Christmas. Yeah, yes, yeah. So yeah, so obviously they they went over there to the Jamman and sort of to get qualified. Uh, and then when you look at Alaphilippe was off a break, he stopped to a walk up the running. He'd probably come on plenty for it. So like that race kind of fell apart. He was obviously fit, Sporting John, and the race played into his hand. And you go back to the race before then, the horse around him, Kansas City Chief is a 12-year-old. He won the race. And then when you go back even to when he won in November, he's not beating horses that you'd say that had eight or 10 pound in hand as a novice. And he's, be he's just beating horses, as Dan said, that he sh probably should be beating, even giving them weight. Um, so he'll have to step up again, as his price suggests. Sorry to Burley. It's Cheltenham. You'd imagine he'd be there, thereabouts. He was second in the race last year. He's a dual winner for Thames. He's another one that could go off 20 to 1 and run well on the day, similar, similar to Paisley Park. But I think with the, with the JP horses outside of Champ, I think we're talking more of an each way, each way uh, angle with them more so than a win one. 
Yeah, for sure. It's it's a it's a muddling race, very confusing. But I think we've covered plenty of the leading contenders. I mean, the only one, if either one of you lads wanted to give me a quick line on Time Hill, I feel like we haven't really actually Ooh. mentioned him too much. We've mentioned him in an in an about way um, around Champ and Paisley Park, sort of the intertwining form lines there. But Time Hill, give him any chance now, or do you think that he was put in his place by Champ fairly last time out? Dan, I'll he seemed to. He seemed to be. I mean. Things have just become a little bit disjointed with him, seemingly, haven't they? We've not been seeing him as regularly. Uh, I don't know what the plan would be between now and then. I mean, I've just embarrassed myself not realising the favourite for the race was entered on Thursday. So I'm not going to pretend I know where it's time right, goes. We're, we're not expecting him to look at Gorman Park on a Thursday. Don't worry about that. We'll, no, we'll, you've we'll, got we'll do that for us. <laughs> yes, thank you. That's 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 not just the re- that's keep not the only reason you hear Ryan. Yeah, you <laughs> your judgment, but to keep me in check's quite handy. Yeah, I just I just get that feel that. He's a very good stayer, a very high-level stayer, time at Time Hill, but a stayer who maybe lacks a bit of quality and class to say that he's a, a bona fide stayer's hurdle candidate. Mm-hmm. And as you've just said, Kate, and as Ryan said as well, he's basically been laughed at by Champ for most of the, the latter stages of our... He of sat our on his garth just using him, wasn't he? He was literally using him like a towing barge, like into the, to the line. I, I, again, I'll show my age. It was a Harry Enfield character years ago, which was two jockeys. One Harry of whom would be... Ta- <laughs> Harry Enfield, sorry. Go on. <laughs> Uh, you're, you're more the age of Harry Skelton or Harry Derham. <laughs> um, where there were two jockeys and one of them would be cantering and he'd be having like a really meaningless trivial conversation with the other one who was scrubbing away and really frustrated and that was basically what we saw yeah. in reality in that in that race at Ascot yeah heartbreaking listen poor old time hill yeah no, no prizes are guessing which horse is which and John Joe just absolutely yeah sticking two fingers up at him there or Tom O'Brien <laughs> on it. Uh, no John Joe to Tom O'Brien then as, as he um cruised past him eventually yeah just amusing him in that race but um yeah, so you do think that he probably was put in his place then by um, by Champ on that occasion? Yeah, I just think, I mean, he's a, he's a likely place candidate, isn't he? He'd be one of those that's fighting out for a place. And he's another who strongly run race would suit him because he is a thorough stayer. But yeah. I, I felt the value quite strongly amongst the also-runs, the apparent also-runs, was definitely with Paisley Park. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, Paisley Park looks a huge price then at 33-1. to So unless you both have anything else to add then, to the Sayers hurdle. Then I guess we'll, we'll move on to the novices. But yeah, some really interesting angles there. Paisley Park does look the value. I still think Flooring Porter personally is being a little bit overlooked here. I think he's a proper horse. I think he'll be numb as anything, provided he gets a good start on the front end. And hopefully Classical Dream will then take a lead and Flooring Porter can just dominate as he did last year. So that they are our opinions on Sayers hurdle. We're, we're going to switch now to the Ballymore, where, as I say, we're having our first race. We're going to be covering for the novices. So, and we're going to have a little bit of overlap as set up top of the show between the Ballymore and the Albert Bartlett. So, some of this will be kind of discussing these two races in one at this stage, basically trying to discuss which horses we think should go where and which horses would appreciate um, the trip as well. But trying to decipher the novice hurdling division is like trying to decipher one of Boris Johnson's press conferences. No one really has much of a clue at this stage exactly what's going on. But hopefully we end up with a nice party at the end of it anyway. All being <laughs> so it oh, can okay. be done. Well if you're not if you're not on a, a podcast host at the minute and making jokes like that, then you're done. It, will Cheltenham be a work event for you or will it be for long party? Oh, pure work event. Pure work event. <laughs> yeah. 
definitely. Yeah, I think the case for all of us, we can all argue it's pure a work event for everyone, really. So yeah, we'll be we'll be flying. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be um, exciting anyway. So we're going to look at the Bally Ball. And again, we have Willie Mullins entering his horses in everything, including the mascot race, as we tend to expect at Cheltenham as well. But I'm going to run through the Ballymore market, where, of course, we no longer have Blazing Carl in this race or in the Albert Bartlett, where he was the Antipost favourite, which is a shame. But hopefully we'll see him back for punches down. So it's Enzo Gerhard leading the way at four to one. Dysart Dynamo at six to one. Jinto at seven to one. Stage Star also at seven to one. Journey with me at eights. Walking on air at sevens. Mighty Potter fourteens. Hillcrest, who we'll also be seeing this weekend, maybe at Doncaster. Maybe Cheltenham. I think it's more likely Doncaster. And then uh, Constitution Hill, sixteen to one, and sixteen to one bar. Then, so Sagerhard. I guess we should. We did touch upon him in our supreme chat uh, last week before when he was. Um, but obviously, he's now heading the betting here. He was seventh one for the Supremes. Now four to one for the Ballymore. So Dan, does he step up in trip and take his chance in the Ballymore instead? Yeah, that's a fascinating debate. I mean, it, personally, I'm more. The market is not really telling you a great deal. We'd, we'd normally glean more from the exchanges, wouldn't we, in the sports yeah. book at this point? And he's a pretty much a similar price for both. I mean, the, the one for me who, and will be for everybody as well, as we sort of toyed with mischievously last week, the one who would completely blow the race apart if he went this way would be Constitution Hill. And yeah. we've just discussed Hendo, uh, sorry, discussed JP, maybe trying to split up horses who were going for that stayers hurdle. I still don't think it's a million that we see some sort of change of heart in this because they are, you just get the feeling that if he runs Constitution Hill and John Bond, he's potentially wasting a Cheltenham race there in the sense that those two horses, in my belief, are are good enough to win a Cheltenham novice. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dysart Dynamo is on the scene. That's not to say that they will win a Cheltenham novice. I, I think that they're good enough to do so. Um but he almost, if they finish 1-2 in the in the Supreme, Constitution Hill and John Bond, I'm sure Hendo will not be disappointed at all. But by the same token, you might be thinking, well, I could have won that Ballymore because yeah. as Kev would often say, it looks windy. There are <laughs> m- multiple, multiple entries. I mean, loads of horses are in the stage race. They're in the Supreme as well. And the Betfair market isn't really guiding us too strongly as to as to which ones amongst the main players are confirmed or or highly likely to go for the race. Walking on air was a horse who emerged at at Newbury in the week, but it'll be a greater test of his experience and his know-how. Stage stars, a classic, done nothing wrong horse. Um, But there's one who I thought representing Ireland who, who looked, I think he's a likely candidate for this race, even though he's in the Supreme market. Now, Gordon isn't a man to, to waste potential Cheltenham festival winners. No. I mean, it seems to be all he lives for. Um, and in Mighty Potter, he's got a horse. I think it's surely that the way that Gordon's thinking is, well, that Supreme is is better than the champion hurdle, potentially. It yeah. features three horses that could be genuinely top-class hurdlers. The champion hurdle itself probably features one in Honeysuckle and maybe two in Appreciate it, as we were saying last week. So, that Ballymore is likely to be a significantly weaker opportunity. And it's not just the fact that it looks a weaker race for Mighty Potter. It's the way this horse shapes him. I mean, he won a heavy ground bumper at Punchestown in his debut. He didn't win it all through stamina. It wasn't a strong race, but he clearly saw things out very well. And I think that's what he's done in his hurdles races so far. He was better the, the further he went in that future champions race. And I just, certainly not a case I wouldn't put it past him. I'm just trying to think how Gordon might think. And, 
would you rather run in a Supreme when you're probably 16s, 20s to win it or go for a Ballymore when you, you're likely to be single figures to win it? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Like say, for all that you're trying to do best by your horse, you do have to also take in the opposition there. So, I mean, he has, I say, Mighty Potter around 14 to 1 there on the sports book. And, but he does also have Jinto in here at 7 to 1. So half that price um, in here. And Jinto was one who I thought looked fascinating because with these novices, we talk about sort of strength of form, really. And Jinto surely has to be bang up there with the best form in this race, doesn't he? So, Ryan, so why do you think, I guess, that Jinto and maybe Mighty Potter himself, because, of course, his form certainly stacks up amongst the best in this race, for sure. But why do you think that they're maybe not being as talked about as much as perhaps a Sagerhard or a Dysart Dynamo? Uh, I presume it's the way they're winning, Kate, um, as opposed mm. to what they've actually done. Mighty Potter still looked fairly green when he won his grade one last time at Leperstown. Um, at the la- at, just, just as they jumped the last, he might have thought of the three strike guy just want to catch him. Um, but he just kept fine into the line. He looks like there's a good bit left under the bonnet there. It is a tricky one, though. I agree with Dan in that, in that the horse would have a chance, a big chance in the Ballymore. But when you look at Ginto and, and Hollow Games for, for the same owner, I'd imagine they'll want to split them. And if they do split them, yeah. what does he have then for the Supreme, Gordon? And I do agree that the Ballymore will be the better race for him. But I'm just wondering whether Gordon might want to split the three of them up to give him give him a decent chance. Well, uh, in in the three novice races, his three stripe life is the only other clear one I can see that he has in the Supreme. But Ginto wasn't that flashy when he won the last day, uh, the two and a half grade one at Nice. He just kept finding from the front. Um, I'd imagine he'll end up running here possibly and uh, Hollow Games a longer race, but we're obviously only guessing at the moment. Really, um, he looks like he stays really well, Ginto, but he has a little bit of a turn of foot as well. He won a bumper. Uh, over two miles um, and was placed in a bumper as well over two miles. So he doesn't look the slowest horse in the world. I think Hollow Games looks a bit slower than him, so they might split them up that way. Um, but for me in the race, obviously the top of the market at the moment, it's very hard to know what we're run. As Dan said, we're not getting much of a, of a steer from the exchanges at the moment. But I what, think- Ryan, what, what, what price would Constitution Hill be if there was a sudden and definite change of heart now? I mean, seven if, to four? If, it's, yeah. it's, so, are you saying it, it's easy to like if Sir Gerhard or Dice at Dynamo, you'd imagine one will run against him. So, it's tricky to price him up. Like, if he was running against Dice at Dynamo, I'd imagine he'd be, he'd be in around seven to four. Yeah, I, I suspect he'd be favored to be either either of them, given how the market's shaping up in the Supreme Dan. Dan yeah, but um, I would think that Willie would obviously send one or the other here. And I, I actually think that he'll send Sir Gerhard to the Supreme and Dice at Dynamo to this race personally. Um, the fact that Gerhard's probably done a little bit more in his career, I think this race might, um, or the Supreme might do him better than Dysart Dynamo. Dysart Dynamo has had fewer runs, and I just think they go a little bit slower, obviously, in the Ballymore, and it's not not as good a race. It's not going to be as good as the Supreme this year. Maybe mm. he might just think that Sir Gerhard's more battle-hardened for the likes of the Supreme um, than, than Dysart Dynamo. So, although, you know, I don't have too much of a say in our anti-post prices, given him a 4-1 to one, Sir Gerhard and 6-1 to one Dysart Dynamo, but uh, maybe I should change <laughs> them around. But um, yeah, I, I think personally that Dysart Dynamo will end up in this race. So if he does 6-1, to one, it's obviously huge. But for the reasons that we're not sure at the top of the market, I, I'm going I'm going elsewhere. And I'm two Winnie Munns horses um, outside of them top two I mentioned that I'm kind of interested in that prices. Um, El Fabiolo. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's not bad following Winnie Munns around these novice races. Tell him. El Fabiolo has won. He won at Tremor. Uh, it was a weak maiden hurdle. But Willie's shown in the past that Tremor is not a track he... He, um, he shies away from me. He's run a lot of plenty of good novices in there, as well as obviously Adam Fowler running the chase every year. 
Um, he's not afraid to run a good one at Tremorne. I just like the way he he won at Tremor. Uh, it was two miles on heavy ground. He was placed over two and a quarter miles of Fran- in France uh, on his previous uh, start back in September 2020. So I think he'll get this trip no problem given that French run and the way he got up to the line at Tremor. And I wouldn't be surprised if he turned up here. I think any novice that you think might be better as a chaser um, and you're entered in the Supreme and, and the Ballymore are better in time even. I think you're going for the Ballymore this year. I think you'd leave the Supreme alone to, to the top view in America as I think they look exceptional novices, especially over the trip. So El Fabiolo is around a 16 to 1 chance at the moment. Uh, I take a, a chance each way on him. And then one, another one at a big price of 33 to 1 is classic, classic getaway. Um, he's obviously in the, we got the entries today, he's obviously in the Albert Barton as well. But I think they might come here, given he ran him over, over two and a half miles uh, on his hurdles run from a hurdle debut run at Tom Mel on heavy ground. Now, it was really interesting that day because he ran against, it was in a winner's race, and the winner cashback is a mid-150s rated chaser. And he doesn't run to that the whole time. But I thought he put up a good performance cashback to win that day. Um, Paul Townend chose to ride Classic Getaway, who was in, uh, who was in receipt of, of, of uh, I think it was £9 on that occasion. But he travelled really well. He travelled his way to the front, probably a little bit too well. And the ground was really testing that day. And I just feel that if he did run in a maiden hurdle on that card or maybe a week or two after that, I think he would have won on the bridle. And then we're, we're talking mm. about it. We're talking about it. Eight, ten to one chance for both the Albert Bradley and the Ballymore. So I think he's definitely won. We'll get on to the Albert Bradley after this, um, I'd imagine. But I just think he's definitely one that's overpriced. If, if we knew where he was going, he's way overpriced in both races because I think that was actually a really good effort. The ground was bottomless in, in Clamell, as I said. Um, he was bought for 570000 after winning this point to point, he's a gorgeous big horse. He bolted in his bumper and Tipperary on Patch Mullins rode him. He was actually one of the horses that was taken away from Gordon Elliott when um, when Shively Park took the horses off uh, off Gordon. But I just think that he's thirty three to one in this. He may may well turn up in this, as I said earlier, given he's only had the three runs, one in a point to point, one in a bumper, and one in a hurdle race at the moment. And given that he's only had the three, Willie might not want to send him to the Abbott Barlet as it is a bit of a grueling race. So he could end up here. And I think 33 to 1 would look very big, even if he comes out in the next few weeks, maybe, and wins a race before uh, Chatham comes. I think it was really interesting that he left him in both races today. So uh, I'd imagine Chatham is still the plan with him. Yeah, for sure. I'd say he's left him in those races there. But considering his lack of experience, you would have assumed at this stage that the Ballymore may well look most feasible race for Classic Getaway there at a huge price of 33 to 1. But another big price one that you were giving us with El Fabiolo, who obviously was hugely impressive at 16 to 1 then for Ryan. So, yeah, a couple of left field Willie Mullins chances then uh, in the Ballymore for, for Ryan. But, Dan, just throwing it back to you, I mean, when you just asked Ryan there about Constitution Hill, you know, what price would he be if we got any sort of direction that he may well step up and trip and go for this? Have you got any thinking then behind that in terms of sort of backing him now then at that price, just maybe as a saver for the Ballymore, should he turn up here? Yeah, I mean, this has been floated to Tony, hasn't it? Tony Calvin, our other podcast, because he's got a very good position for the Supreme. And I'm not a big hedger or anything like that. In fact, I I seldom hedge. Um, (laughs) But you sort of feel like if I was in Tony's position, I probably would be throwing a few quid at him for this race on that basis. But the trouble is... He's going to be, a, if you're wanting to back him, you're really going to have to be backing him on the exchange. If you're trying to back him with a sports book for race, a race like this, they're naturally going to be quite cautious, aren't they, about his participation for one thing. And they know that they're, it's one thing when you're laying, uh, laying a bet on the Betfair exchange against another person who's happy to make the market and say, I'm going 16s. Yeah. I think there'd be a few people getting a bit of a dressing down in that, in that trading room if they put up 16s 
fixed odds for Constitution Hill for a Ballymore on the basis that if he goes to the race, we're dealing with a, a seven to four chance. Can I just throw a couple of other names in there? Not not strong views at all, but I just wanted to discuss a couple of horses. Now, Twister's running. I like to move it. He's entered him in the Betfair hurdle anyway, and then he's entered him in the Supreme. So at first I thought, well, that's presumably his plan. He's done it before with horses. He's won that Betfair hurdle and with Ballyandy, et cetera, and then had a crack at the Supreme. But I think this horse is a more of a stayer. I mean, he's a he's a big unit to say he's a flatbred horse. I know they thought the world of him last season. He came with a reputation. He was undone by a stupid race won by John Bond at Kennelgate. I think he's a lot better than that. And I thought he was a potentially improving the trip. And secondly, just because I want to get his name out there again, I was at Warwick on Sunday and I saw, I think, possibly the best handicapped hurdler in Britain get ah, beaten in a race. Risk. Yeah, good risk at all. I mean, all, yeah. it was... It was two miles around Warwick on the best ground Warwick have had for ages because it's been bottomless every time I've been there lately. It was good to soft. The others weren't stopping. I mean, the the winner wasn't stopping. And 50 yards out, this horse is five lengths down and he gets done maybe a nose or a short head. Finishing, I've done been, there's a lot of race meetings over the years and I like it. The only horse I've seen finish faster in front of me in person in a jump race was Silver Streak when he won a, a four-year-old hurdle at Chepstow, probably half a decade. It was that long ago. I was working for Sky uh, at the races in the day. Um, and he whizzed past us, and it was, it was completely mind-blowing. I mean, we knew it was a seriously handy, well-handicapped horse there and then. And the first time since I thought something similar in a handicap was, was that horse. And he's not slow. He's a dual bump winner at listed level, and his bumper lines have worked out really well. But I wonder if, with no handicap entries, not qualified for a bet for a hurdle this year, I wondered if they'd have aspirations to win with him between now and then and have a tilt because I think he's a seriously good horse and I think he's performed. With his jump and sorry to cut across you, that with his jump and worry, like he got beat because of it. And his like if he if he jumped anyway straight at the last, he, he wins. He wins the weekend. Like his yeah, jumping. I, I wasn't sure that clearly his jumping at Chepstow was bad. That got him beaten behind Hardcore. I thought he was better behind John Bonnet Newbury, but just not fast enough or good enough to live with that horse. Mm. And for me at Warwick, it wasn't so much a jump as an inexperienced horse having a wobble. I thought he was shy in as much as anything. The brakes went on. I don't think he's a horse to be wary of. He wouldn't have found as much as he did to win those two bumpers. I mean, he's a horse with a big engine. The I mean, they couldn't get enough on him, could they? It was a competitive race and he was absolutely backed off the boards one that got away but even if he doesn't turn up in a Cheltenham race at least we can back him in a handicap before then to get a few quid extra yeah for sure so some really big price I mean I'm just trying to find him what I've just found what 33s was it good risk at all and I feel mm. 80s on the exchange then um about your first selection as well so I, brought, I like to move, to move it, it. Yeah, so um, so yeah, real left field. They were going for Valley Mall when when all else fails and we don't know who's going to run. Just yeah, go go rogue and left field. But um, but yeah, that yeah. was definitely significant with good risk at all. Uh, his finishing effort then at Warwick at the weekend. So yeah, a couple of really big big plays there and ones that you like you say to take seriously in this race then um, to have been entered in it and and should they then turn up? So it doesn't always. You don't always have to look towards the head of a market in this race. Now, just to go back to Dysart Dynamo, I know that, Ryan, you were keen on him and thinking that he he would be the most likely one to sort of step up in trip here of that division. I mean, would it concern you? Obviously, he's a standard, typical Westerner. And my concern about Westerners in general is that they don't tend to 
rein their numbness in. It doesn't seem to get out of their system early on, like, you know, an Arcadia or something like that. Westerners tend to be numb throughout their career. So would that concern you at all with the likes of Dice Art Dynamo, you know, stepping up in trip here rather than the Supreme that he may just do too much too soon? Yeah, possibly. That That's a, a small issue, I suppose, Kate. The fact he was a winner over two and a quarter miles on debut in a bumper. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, when Willie starts them over further than two miles, he kind of sees them long term as a stayer. So yeah. I think it's, a, it's that's a slightly interesting point on that front. He was obviously very keen the last day of punch down and went down, but there wasn't much pace in the race, I don't think, even prior to, to that race happening. Looking through it, I don't think there was too much pace going to go on. Hammersmith is a uh, a kind of a midland handicapper and I thought he might go on in the day but Paul Town elected to go forward and, and dice out Dynamo I think he has such a big engine Kate that he'll get away with the trip in the Ballymore yeah. and the fact then that if he does run in the Ballymore he won't be taking on the likes of Constitution Hill and Sir had if he does run in, in the Ballymore so I think they're positives in, in the fact of him getting the trip that I don't think there's a proper star in the race um, in the Ballymore should he turn up yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's trying to find the star that, like I say, because in the Supreme, we have four of them rather than, well, at least, rather than in the Valley. Well, three and John Bond, three and John Bond. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, to be fair, we talk about anti-post betting that, oh, back him now before he runs at the weekend because he'll only shorten if he wins. Not John Bond. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, John Bond. Yeah, we pushed him and I was, I was actually delighted yeah. we pushed him. I was on Racing Post Live with you on Saturday, Kate, and... Uh, I was a bit, I was a bit shocked to see the lads quoting um, the, the the price on Shishkin. We went eight to fifteen or one to two after the the championship or after the Nurgamian clash, and we pushed them uh, on, on second thought um, yesterday afternoon. But I was delighted to see we pushed John Bond um, because I'm not a fan of that horse. Uh, and everybody, I, everybody just wants him to fail. Yeah, it's not even that, I suppose. But it just goes to show you how many people have the same thoughts about him. Like it's yeah. not as I don't think too many people now are turning around to say it just to say it to have a different opinion than anyone else I think people genuinely feel that he's not as good and only time will tell but I think that's good that he probably divides a lot of people and 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 mm. suppose it's not he's not even favored for, for the supreme it just goes to show you that he, he's, he's very divisive he's a very divisive horse at the moment and that, yeah, can only be good. that can only be good going forward because half the people are going to be right and half of them are going to be wrong <laughs> Exactly. And our good friend from this show, obviously, of course, Daryl Carter was skipping around his living room, I'm sure, uh, when all of that was happening. Enough did go wrong for him, though, admittedly, in that race at Haydock at the weekend. But anyway, yeah, he was keen on... caught wide, wasn't he? Yeah, he was caught wide, caught on heels. Plenty went wrong for him. So I'm still hoping to see him at his brilliant best. But he continues to divide opinion. So I think we've actually covered the Ballymore for plenty enough time now. I'm just going to quickly, just um, for myself, chuck in stage star here, of course, the Chalo winner. And now that straight away after that win, Paul Nichols wasn't sure whether or not he was going to send him to Cheltenham. We know that Paul Nichols is very often, you know, I think the original quote was something like, um, I'm not afraid to wait till Aintree. If you go to Cheltenham um, and... You, you want to go to Cheltenham and win, apologies. So, yeah, not finish fifth or sixth and give yourself a hard race. You've got to be competitive. And I've learned that even more so in the last few years, if we can win at Cheltenham, we'll be there. However, on a rival podcast, very good one, though, admittedly, uh, he did say in the week, though, that stage, so we'll be going for the Ballymore now. So all roads lead to that. And, of course, he was hugely impressive. So hopefully he can do better than Brave Man's Game did from winning the Cello to then going to the Ballymore. But just another name shuck into the mix. So we'll move on to the Albert Bartlett. Of course, we're going to be discussing... An awful lot of the same horses in here, but of course we're stepping up in trip now and trying to decide which of these horses should really be suited by the step up in trip and in what looks again a very open division of these novice hurdlers. So um, again, trying to contextualise these horses and again 
I will read out the current market standings for you. We have Jinto, who we've been discussing earlier at 92, Journey with me at 5 to 1, Hollow Gains at 6 to 1, Jerry Colom at 8 to 1, Manella, Manella Kruner, apologies, at 10s, Eric Bloodaxe at 12s, Hillcrest, again, who we're going to see at the weekend, at 16s, and Manella Kakuna, don't get those two mixed up, at 16 to 1, and it is 20 to 1 bar. So, uh, I mean, Bective Stud and Rob Core have a pretty strong handle on this race as it currently stands. First four in the betting, and two, and only two owners then sharing them between them. So, Ryan, back to you, please, for how are the owners going to split any of these, really? Yeah, well, as I said, I, I think Ginto might end up in, in the Valley more myself and Hollow Games um, in this race. And then so that'll be them two sort. And with Journey with me and Jerry Kalam, I think Jerry Kalam will definitely run here. Um, from what we've seen the weekend at Torres, that was over two miles and seven. Um, and he looked a bit tap for toe around the sharp Torres track on better ground. So I don't think there's any chance he can go for the Ballymore. So I'd imagine Journey with me will go for the Ballymore. Um, of the two, of, of the, the four we mentioned there, um, Jerry Colomb is actually going to be my selection in, in the Abbott this far out. Uh, I think he's really, really solid. There's a lot of reasons why I like him. Um, what I, I talked about there, I think it was a really interesting move by Gordon, uh, Gordon Eddie to send him to Turles instead of going for the Dublin Racing Festival on Sunday. I think he learned plenty there. It was, as I said, it was 2-7, yielding ground. Turles can get very sharp, speedy track when it's not heavy. A lot of people see Turles are heavy in the winter, but when they get decent ground in Turles, it takes a quick enough horse to win round there. It's a downhill running the straight to the, to the last couple of hurdles. And when you see when you see he was raced wide, from about three or four out, Jack Kennedy was on and off the bridle. Um, but you always felt up the straight that he was going to do enough um, to beat the, the normally horse side his boy on that day. So I think he learned plenty. He learned how to race because I think in his bumper, he won by 20, 24 lengths, I think it was. He bolted in at a bumper on heavy ground. And then up the, the Northern Down Royal, I... Uh, in his maiden hurdle, he was sent off a very short price and he won on that occasion. So I don't think he learned too much um, from, from them runs. And I think he learned so much on Sunday that would stand to him coming into a race like this. He gallops all day long. The three-mile trip will really, really suit him. Uh, he looks to be improving all the time. And he's around an eight-to-one chance uh, at, at the moment, Jerry Clam. I just think he's really, really solid. We're talking about what horses to go for what race. He looks a certain runner in here for me. Um, and at eight to one, he'll do. In regards to journey with me, I think he's he's underpriced at around five to one. That maiden hurdle he won at Leperstown at Christmas. On paper, it looked brilliant beforehand, but when you actually watch the race and then go through it, um, after after, I, I don't think it's as strong as it looked. Falcon Eight was well beaten in the end. Never jumped with fluency. I'd say a Galway maiden hurdle might be on his horizon in, in, in late summer. Um, and then when you look at another horse, Amright of Henry the Bromheads was beaten in a maiden hurdle since. Now the second did run on well to beat Kilcrut. And he won a maiden hurdle at Punchtown last week, but that was an egg and spoon maiden hurdle and came off the bridle to do that. Once I seen him come off the bridle, I thought it was disappointing that he couldn't beat them horses on the bridle. Uh, and then when you look at the third kill crut, that day it looked like he had a bit of an issue, turned into the straight traveling and stopped to nothing. Uh, I wouldn't trust that form of kill crut. So as I said, prior to the race, it looked a really strong race, but after I don't think it was actually that strong. And then he won a bumper, obviously, really impressively. But if we're talking here in relation to prices, he's a five to one chance journey with me. And for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go near him at 5-1. I'd have to see a little bit more. And he's entered at the Dublin Racing Festival. And I think we'll know a bit more about him then. But I just think Jerry Kalam at 8-1 is very, very solid uh, in a race where he ticks a lot of the boxes that you need to win this tougher race. Yeah, and at least, as you say, Jerry Kalam, considering his price there at 8-1, he is actually one of the very few horses who have proven himself over nearly this trip over the 2 mile 7 at Thurless, as you say, at the weekend. So surely that has to be taken into considerable account when we're even trying to figure out what horses are even going to go here. 
But Dan Ryan talks about journey with me there and whether or not he's going to cite this race. And I know that he was sort of a dark horse for plenty of people then coming into the season and people hoping he was going to go under the radar. And obviously he's been well enough founded now. But do you sort of take the same opinion as Ryan, where you think that he's been well founded now, basically sort of by default, I guess maybe a bit harsh of a term to put on it because of the Kilcrit form? Or do you think that he deserves the price he currently has in this race? No, I'd, I'd still have reservations about what that form's really worth as well. I mean, the, the SPs of the two horses, him and Kilcrit beforehand, told you a fair tale of how they were viewed by the shrewd betting public. Now, I differ slightly with Ryan on, on Jinto, really. If he lined up for this race, which it maybe is a toss-up between the two, I'd have him favourite for it because I think he's a thorough stayer. But I wouldn't put anybody off having a tilt at this race. Now, I, I would... I would rail against ordinarily just reading out prices of former winners of races because mostly it's not instructive. It's just each each renewal is different. But you, you can sort of see why the likes of, of Verywood, the price Manila Indo was, Kilbrick and Storm, even Vanillier last year, why horses at massive price win this race? Because it's a sort of examination that form to some extent, it goes a bit out the window. It becomes survival of the fittest. Who's the, who's the strongest stayer in the field? And I'll have a tilt at two, one possibly completely stupid, but we've seen Blazing Cal taken out of this mm-hmm. race due to injury, but the horse who has chased him home twice now, Jolino Bello, for me is a thorough stayer. I think he's all about stamina. In, in the circumstance, I thought he ran remarkably well in the Lanzarote, a completely different type of race, a shorter trip. For me, was that was a, a run on which to to raise his profile rather than knock it because he didn't win. He'll be back up to three miles. I think that sort of slog will really suit him because he saw those races out really well against Blazing Cal and they were both tactical. The spa, the spa heard Laz was, Albert Bartlett, won't be tactical. It'll be two or three blast off and then let's see what you've got, gentlemen and ladies. How how strongly can you gallop to the line? And the other one is coming from the rarefied air of Southall and Catterick on his last two starts. But Martin Keatley saws Brawson. I think he's very useful. He's gone a four to six to win that handicap. He's won it by half the track. He's 50s to win this. He was a 90-odd horse on the time form scaling bumpers. He won at Catterick by a mile prior to that, over two miles. And he was win- he won over two miles. It was an egg and spoon, but he, I mean, it didn't get anywhere near to the bottom of him. He's had one go at the trip, has won a handicap at four to six by a mile mm-hmm. and had it in the bag a long way out. I just think there's a lot more improvement in him at the trip. I don't think any test of stamina will be too much of a test, and he's a 50s chance. They'd be my two darts at the prices, but I think Jolino Bello at 33s on the on the exchange is, is big. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, when he has that intertwining form line with Blazing Carl, who was the anti-post favourite, and obviously we're not going to see, and hopefully we'll see by Punchestown. When you look at those intertwining form lines then between Jolino Bello and him, there was surely too much of a disparity between their prices in general, considering he's managed, he, he's chased him home twice, admittedly well enough beaten, but I say the step up in trip a bit then brings out further improvement in him. 33 to 1 could be huge for Jolino Bello. And I say for, from, from the glamour stakes then for Brawson on the back of those Southwell and Catterick wins could be anything at 50 to 1, but is, is very under the radar and, and a very uh, shrewd selection then for Dan in this race. Maybe but not. He might be tailed off after two flights. But oh, it sounds good for now. Sound, anyway. I can <laughs> sound shrewd for now, yeah. We've got weeks left until that's found out. People forget by then. So now it just sounds clever. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) fascinating, fascinating between these and exactly who is going to go for these. And I know that Hollow Games, he he again is just a horse just to touch on before we wrap up here, really. 
because I know we sort of, again, we talked about him in between other horses, but I mean, he did lose his unbeaten record last time out um, after also winning his, obviously his point to point on debut, then a Sue bumper start, setback last season, saw and ruled out of Cheltenham, but he did return like nothing was amiss. And I really did like to see that in his first two hurdle starts, getting out early as well at Down Royal in October and then winning again in more workmanlike fashion, I think in a grade three novice hurdle at Navan before being overturned by his stable mate Jinto, who obviously is heading the market now in the Lawless of Nace, but that was over two mile four. But I just wonder if this step up in trip is going to suit Hollow Games, bearing in mind he was workmanlike on that penultimate start, if that will suit him then more so. So that was just his a brief overview then for Hollow Games' profile as well to potentially be overturning that form with, with Jinto. But Jinto is a horse that I absolutely love. But yes, plenty of horses there. Of course, Blair, Eric Bloodaxe as well in here, who could still be anything. And we will remain to be seen with Hillcrest. Hillcrest, can I just get a last sort of word from the pair of you? Do you go Albert Bartlett or Ballymore with him? I, I like the horse a lot. He's a, a magnificent physical specimen, but I don't think he'd win either. Eh? I just think he's just too big and backward and too much of a chasing like type it. to cope with a race like that. I mean, can you imagine him in the Ballymore with his size? It wouldn't take much for him to be out of rhythm, was it? would it? I mean, tremendous prospect, but a seven-year-old who's who's not made it to the track very often and he's absolutely mad. He looks like two horses stuck together. Yeah, he literally does. So back him now for the 2024 Grand National you heard it here first, and that'll be it for yeah. Hillcrest then. But hopefully he does still go and win the River Don Novices Hurdle at Doncaster over the weekend, over three miles. But yeah, super likeable horse, maybe not his time for now. So again, time has got away with us, lad. So anything you wanted to add on either of our two Novice Hurdles before we wrap up? No, I'm good. I'm just waiting for the answer to this question. Yeah, I'd say you've waited for anticipation, but Ryan, you good as well? Yeah, I think we covered a lot there in fairness, yeah, both um both horses at big bigger prices and horses at shorter prices. But I just I just remind customers that maybe I did the big thing here is to try to find out where they're gonna run. I, I wouldn't be wasting your money just half guessing. I think if you have a logical reason in your head of where a horse is gonna run, then maybe put your five or ten or down. But I think throwing throw money away, just like Constitution Hill is 16 to 1 in the value more at the moment. Um that might tempt a few people, but realistically I don't think he's going to run there so I just just urge urge people who are betting on the races especially the novices um, just to, to think before they have the bet to, to actually give themselves a logical reason of why the horse is actually mm. going to run in the race to that end I mean of the ones we've discussed today Paisley Park 33s it wouldn't be a, a mega strong view but it'd be the strongest of those we've discussed because as Ryan said where else is he going to run I mean it's, yeah. it's guaranteed that he's going to go there isn't it yeah exactly so like I say yeah it's still a guessing game at this stage, so don't chuck too much at it. Good advice. Now, I will give the answer to, to Dan's uh, very well thought out question now that I read out at the top of the show. So just a reminder of the question itself. Energamine broke the 180 marker on timeform ratings when pushing Shishkin all the way at Ascot on Saturday. Which horse, representing the same connections as Energamine, won the 2017 Albert Bartlett and which Cheltenham Festival race did he land only two starts later? So the answer was Penhill. And the 2018 Stayers Hurdle, for those of you who got it, very well done if you did. Now, that is everything from us. I think I've I've dosed on for long enough. Now I got carried away a little bit today. So apologies for that and apologies for taking up all of the lads' time as well. But that was episode two of Fez Cheltenham Broadcast. A big thank you to the lads for all of their hard work, of course, on this week's show. Next week, we will be discussing the Turners, the Brown Advisory Novices Chase and the Arkle and the Champion Bumper. If you can remember what any of those races 
races actually are. But if not, <laughs> tune in next week and we'll try and get those names stuck in your head. So a busy show next week. Looking forward to welcoming Bryony onto the show as well. And just a reminder that Racing Only Better is out on Friday and Waded is on Monday. And of course, please do remember to gamble responsibly and we shall speak to you again next week.